In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. Cleveland. Wow. We've got a new Cleveland Browns player and I'm here with Jack Duffin and Ian Wright. Jack, you're a rich man this morning. Uh, Dave Gettleman, you absolute beauty. I'll take everything back. You are my favourite GM in the NFL. You delivered the business and uh, I got fat off that. So, uh, good. Ian, will you celebrate anything last night? Absolutely. Anytime there's an NFL draft, I'm celebrating. Uh, it's one of the highlights of my year. I do enjoy it. I sit on the couch, I rock out the Browns gear, and I watch the construction of NFL rosters. So, beautiful thing. And guys, let's, let's just talk us through your evenings. Jack, what were you up to last night? So, uh, ribs, wings, um, some dips, some other stuff. I had them. Um, my secondary TV was just on um, the NFL network for on mute just to see stuff coming through from their angle. But the main broadcast, it was all PFF. Um, they put on a fantastic show, loads of awesome content all the time, loads of different voices chiming in. And um, they're doing day two as well. So I'd really recommend that as a broadcast. It was brilliant. It's on YouTube. It was on Twitter. Um, you can go and watch it. It's completely free and uh, it's phenomenal. And there's different voices in there because Chris Collinsworth doesn't always agree with the analytics, more driven side. So uh, definitely worth checking out. Um, massive props to those lads. And Ian, what were you doing last night? You know, I made it simple. I went, I got some pizza, I got some beer, I sat on the couch. Uh, a couple of my buddies and I were on a um, one of those video chat things, and we just watched the draft and you know talked back and forth about the picks. So it was a pretty nice, easy, chill night for me. I cooked some wings that I burnt. I cooked uh, some uh, uh, a rib of beef I put online, and then. I went, I went on about 10 podcasts last night. It was quite good fun. Just on Zoom, typing in the codes. In you go. Say hi to everyone. They ask you a few questions and you go again. It's a lot more easy doing your own podcast. I'll tell you that. You don't have to do any editing. You don't have to worry about anything. You just turn up and they ask you questions. You do the editing? <laughs> <coughs> Sorry. Yeah. Anyway, um, I've got to say big shout out to Ian. Ian's been taking over the editing so well over the last couple of weeks and Jack's jumping in the editing uh, today. Um, but yeah, I was on um, with Oranges Oranges, uh, went over to Pens- uh, Pennsylvania, I did meet some Browns fans there. Is it in Kuzan country or county? Um, I've probably said that totally wrong. We then went to Chicago, we went to New York. Jerry Lawler, the old wrestler, was online. I did a Jaeger bomb with him. However, he doesn't drink alcohol anymore, so uh, it was a bit awkward. Um, otherwise, yeah, it was just great, really. Just the night went really fast, and um, yeah, it was really good. And obviously, how the picks went out. Obviously, Thomas went quite early with the fourth pick, and um, yeah, guys, how did you feel when Thomas first went, Jack? Um, well, it was elation because I wanted him. Um, 
to go in the top 11 because I got paid a large amount of money. So uh, that makes me happy. Um, but also I was really unhappy because I really wanted him. So it was sort of a mixture of the two. Um, so it, it, it was elation because of the financial impact. But in terms of the Browns, he was my number one um, guy. So uh, it was weird. What about you, Ian? For me, the Vegas odds had kind of pushed Tristan Wirfs up as being the leading favorite to go to the, um, to the Giants. You kind of knew that there was a lot of smoke around the whole trading of picks thing. And once you saw that there was no trade with Miami, they weren't moving anywhere, the Lions stayed put, and then all of a sudden you're moving through the top 10 and no trades were being made. You kind of wondered if all of the information that you'd been hearing the last two months was just, well, frankly, hogwash. And it was one of those things where when the Giants took Andrew Thomas, I kind of figured that everybody was going to stay true to their board. I had assumed that Arizona was going to go offensive tackle. Once they took Isaiah Simmons, I pretty much at that point figured that the Jags were going to go um, away from the offensive side of the ball and that they were going to be, the Browns were going to have their choice of whatever tackle they wanted of the remaining three guys. Yeah, it was absolutely amazing because when you think about it, it was a dream scenario for the Browns. We had a choice of three tackles there at number 10. And I think this comes on to our next point. Jack, do you think the Browns made the right decision with the tackle they picked? No, not for me. Um, I was very much in the camp of you go Andrew Thomas, you go Worths, you trade down. And there's a few reasons for that. And firstly, let me start off by saying just because I don't like the pick doesn't mean I think he's a bust. That gets often confused if you can either be in one camp or the other, and it just isn't true. So for me, the reason why I'm not that keen on him, and it is a risk, when anyone says that there's no difference between left and right tackle, they're talking about value. They're not talking about the change. Um, if you want to do a challenge, let's see the difference. For the next 24 hours after listening to this podcast, use your non-dominant hand as your main hand. So if you're right-handed, do everything with your left and just see the difficulty with that. So my fear is it might take a year, say, for him naturally just to flick the two and it will be a learning curve. So it's that delay of, it's a slight risk and it is quite small in the grand scheme, bit, but it's a factor. And as well, you look at the analytics and if we go to PFF's analytical mock draft, and this is full analytics, forget everything else. And analytics is only part of the equation. So we're not looking at take, we're not looking at, um, sort of all of the sort of character and things, but just on the projections based on their analytic model, Worths is number one, Thomas is number two, Wills is number seven, was pick 30 in their last draft, and their first one wasn't even in there. There is lots of questions. They say, yeah, he's still going to be a good player, but if we have start from the base fact, over 60% of these picks probably won't make a second deal on their team. That means most of them are going to bust, nearly two-thirds. I would be doing everything I can to have a pick that both ticks the um, tape box, but also picks the ticks the analytic box. And I think it's just a slightly bigger risk than we need. And that's not one to say I was wrong if he was successful. There's With every single player picked in the draft, there is a percentage chance of their working out. It's about maximizing that percentage chance. So uh, for me it's more risk than I would like to take. What about you, Ian? I understand the analytics side of it because they're saying, okay, he doesn't fit this criteria. You know, there was a lot of people that said, well, his arm length or 
you know, is he predominantly on the right side because he's played there since high school? And to be fair, that was my biggest concerns with him before the draft was, you know, if this guy has been playing right tackle pretty much since high school, you know, what's it going to be like for him to just, like you said, switch hands? Um, one of the guys had mentioned, I think Andrew Thomas had mentioned when he moved from right to left, you know, his analogy was, you know, start white, you know, eating your food with your left hand or your right hand. So I get it. It's different. You know, one of the things that uh, Joe Thomas had said afterwards was, you know, that none of these guys in college have been doing it and taking enough reps to where it's going to be a learned muscle memory. You know, he had pointed out the fact that Mitchell Schwartz, former Browns uh, offensive lineman, had played left tackle predominantly in college. He moved to the right side. And he said after about two or three months, he kind of felt comfortable. So my thought is, is if there's a guy that's going to do it, and Jack, you may not remember this, but Bill Callahan was actually the offensive line coach for Tyron Smith when he moved from right tackle to left tackle. So if there's a guy that's walked a highly athletic, you know, prospect in moving from right to left, it is, the, you know, a guy like Bill Callahan. Is it going to be a surefire thing? Probably not. Is it one of those things where if I can move him over to the left, I can be a predominantly run-heavy team next year. If I can use Austin Hooper or one of my tight ends to help him out over there just while he's kind of getting everything um, situated, then go for it. I think the Browns' philosophy is very simple. Let's find the guy that is ready to start day one. He has the highest level of technique, according to all the experts. So I think that was really the way they went. Yeah, just on sort of the analytical edge, um, our friend Kevin Cole, friend of the podcast, been on a couple of times. Um, he did an article about combine and looking at positions and sort of their data, height, weight, but all of the stats, and just found that literally across the entire board, in terms of uh, value and wins above replacement, everything in the offensive tackle class is pretty irrelevant in terms of combine. So lots of people hyping up the combine for wills. It doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things in terms of average for what that leads to. And um, the left-right thing is not so much the analytics, but a big part is, and it's why a lot of the tape grinders and people do love um, wills, is because what they see him do in the run game. Obviously, what happens in the run game, when you talk to someone like PFF and look at analytics, isn't that much that they care about and the other part just sort of alongside that is they're looking at it and going um do um I've, I've lost my track there um jump on paul and then uh when it comes back to me i will uh, fill in no worries jack you're editing this so you can edit this that bit out so, i'm not uh, editing this out i've had three hours sleep and we keep rolling oh excellent yeah so um my view is Joe Thomas, friend of the show, I will ask him this question when he does come on the show is, has he ever played on the right side? Uh, do you know that at all, uh, Ian? I do not believe he has. There's a bit of research before he does come on the show. So uh, we can find out whether he has ever played on the other side and what his view is of playing on the other side. Because I'm not sure if it's as extreme as writing. It could be as extreme as wiping your ass with your left or your right hand. You know, there's different different levels of, uh, I don't know. Oh, yeah. It's confusion. nowhere near as extreme as sort of writing because there's lots of stuff in the mind that relates to that. But it's just an example just to go, right, for one day, do it. And yeah. you're quickly going to change it over. The thing that I remember that it was coming to me is lots of people are quoting sack numbers um, for why Wills is really good. We've already fact 
busted this before. If you're working on something that happens like 1% of the time and going, this is why he's better and because he's 1.6% where someone else is 1.8%, sacks are so rare, forget about them. Um, they are so small. Look at stuff like pressures, much more important. Um, so all of that stuff, it, looking at the bigger picture, don't worry too much about his sack numbers because he only had one. Yeah, I, I don't put a lot of weight into the, the college stats as well. He played at Alabama. To be fair, when Alabama gets on the field, they're better than 95% of the teams they face. It's actually the same argument I used against Mekhi Becton because he didn't face anybody and still had big gaps in his tape. But, you know, when it comes to Jedrick Wills, he's on a powerhouse team and he is just mauling people left and right. I mean, you, you can see a couple in his highlights. He got called for penalties for actually grabbing guys and throwing them to the ground. So... You know, if we're looking at Brugler, I'm going to use Brugler's draft guide, just give you a quick kind of strengths, weaknesses update on him. So he says he's a mauling run blocker with lock on strength to uproot and generate movement. Nasty competitor with a highly aggressive looking to assert his will from the first snap to the last. I think that's what they look at and they go, this is what we want to take. We want to take the most physical guy and go from there. Weaknesses, susceptible to inside rush lanes, specifically with inside moves. Pre-snap communication issues led to five false start penalties in 2019, oh, including God. three at Auburn in the Iron Bowl. Hands tend to wander, leading to wasted motion and to set up and mistimed punches. So that's the stuff that Joe Thomas, I think, if we're going to work on things, let's work on the fact that he's maybe a little quick off the ball in a couple times because otherwise we're going to be seeing some laundry on the field. And also that hand movement and stuff because that's where Joe Thomas – I, don't, I bet you if you were to go back and look at his analytics grade, it was pretty low. He was a low athleticism guy. He had the shorter arms and all this other stuff, but he was a master technician. So if, if Wills can get to half as good of a technician as Thomas was, you're looking at a day one starter and a guy that's going to anchor you know, that side of the line for at least five to six years. Yeah, I think that's really good. Looking at people like Dane Brugler. Um, and the other one, let, let's flip to the PFF draft guide just because I've got it open. Um, had a dig through. Guys, it's not a battle between um, different sides of different views of who, which one you like the most, is it? That's what people come for, baby. It's all about data. Get more data. They're two fantastic people you should go and listen to. If you're going to look at number one on analytics and number one on uh, tape grinders, they are the two guys. So we've gone to the elite here. Um, So there's six different benefits. I'm just going to touch on a few. One of the nastiest run blockers in the country. Leads tackle class in big time blocks. Very agile for a big fella. Um, can execute any block or blocking scheme you ask. Um, negatives, there's only four there, but gets punchy and pass pro, tries to deliver huge blows instead of well-timed ones. Tendency to be grabby, hasn't been flagged a ton, but could have been far more for holds. So just stuff to be aware of. Um, base gets so wide in pass pro that it can be tough for him to change directions. So just thinking about sort of the, the crazy schemes we might see is something that you just need to be aware of. But there is question marks over every single player coming out of college. That's just how the league works. Well, Ian, some homework for you, mate. Uh, before Joe Thomas comes on the show, you can go back and do all his analytics and read everything about him. I'm guessing PFF wasn't around when Joe Thomas was around. Or am I wrong? I, no, it wouldn't have been around when he came out. They've gone back and graded game stuff, but they haven't obviously gone back and graded uh, college. But it, it's tough to know because data, they don't really care about height. They don't really care about arm length. Um, athletics, not really a factor. They've proved this year. So it, it's looking at things like you've got to grade all of his college tape, which 
they might at one stage, but it takes an incredible amount of time just to grade one NFL season to go and do everyone's college tape is insane. All right, great. And yeah, just to finish off my view, when the Browns were there, they had three tackles. I was thinking to myself, please take a tackle. Please don't trade down. The Jaeger bombs were going to my head. And I thought to myself, okay, we've taken the tackle that Joe Thomas wanted, which is a, I know Joe Thomas isn't a scout or isn't a, um, um, but you know, he's played the game. So he has got some input. And yeah, they, they decided to go with that. And I was like, okay, great. He seems to be well-polished, obviously from a great uh, uni. So yeah, boom, let's, uh, let's go with it. Let's back it. Beckton obviously had the high risk. And Worth, Worth was, Jack, similar to you, mate. I obviously saw the uh, combine. I was thinking he could be a great addition. I think Bucks picked up probably the bargain of the night in my eyes. But you may disagree. But um, I thought I was... Uh, I thought we could go with him first and then second. For, for me, it was one of those ones where my biggest fear going into the draft was we were going to take the last guy. We were going to take the fourth lineman. So once it came down to where there was still three of them on the board, and listen, take him at his word, they're telling us that he was the number one tackle on their board. Now, of course, they're not going to come out and say, you know, Andrew Thomas was our number one, but we got the second best guy we wanted. So I get that. I just think that this guy is the one they, you know, had targeted. Barry claims that he was actually shocked he was on the board. He had tradeback scenarios. But I, I can appreciate a, a group that has a plan, is prepared, and executes the plan as they wanted. So they got the guy they wanted. There's no fuss about it. If something doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But they had – the due diligence was done. They discussed it with many different people within the organization – I liked the uniform, the, you know, collective type of decision they made. Yeah, just in terms of that, um, it's definitely something that lots of people didn't expect him to be there. He was the bookie's comfortable favorite and the only person under evens to go at number four. Um, they had him miles ahead of anyone else. He was the favorite first offensive tackle off the board. Might have changed late on with sort of that Andrew Thomas hype just for the Dolphins doing something crazy. But one thing on just drafting, if we look at Brad from Over the Cap, who's got his book, The Drafting Stage, the value for first round picks, so not the, the value um, that got, but the difference in value, how much the team trading back won that trade by, the value you were getting last year was much, much more than the teams got this year. There was a lot less value in the trade backs. So it's one that not only is it sort of less beneficial to trade back if people aren't giving the high price, it's one where you go, actually, we might not get the value by moving back that we could get by just staying and keep taking our guy. So it's probably something that definitely went into the thought process when looking at offers. Um, but I wasn't too surprised they stayed where they are, where literally no one was coming off the block. Um, a couple of tradebacks from Jones would have been great if you could say getting a two and a three to do it. Um, move back with the Broncos, move back with the Eagles. But if you're not really getting any great offers, you may as well sit there and just take your guy. Guys, we're going to talk about what's available tonight. Uh, uh, second round Browns picks. But I just want to finish up and uh, by saying, I thought the coverage last night considering the circumstance was quite poor actually i was expecting maybe better editing maybe more drama you know you've got a multi-million pound media company running that i thought they could have injected some more live drama and they didn't it was very flat 
Ian, what's your views? Sorry. I think, I, th- I think they tried to stay as low risk as possible. I think that they wanted to make sure that nothing they did was going to go down. They didn't want to make it a highly visual. I thought it was very basic. I think that's probably the best way I'm going to put it. I think they were safe. They played it close to the vest. They didn't want to do anything crazy because they were worried if it crashed, then they were going to be up the creek without the paddle. Yeah, I didn't really have any sound on because I'm not nothing against them when I saw it was ESPN and you got people like Booger. Um, there was nothing appetizing for me <laughs> to turn that broadcast on um, because they're a joke. Um, we saw it on Monday Night Football. Uh, it's pretty likely he's never coming back and doing a game, and, that, and that's on him. Um, he did tweet out just before the draft that the pass game's actually an important part. So he's finally learned. <laughs> Maybe it took his redundancy notice to get that. But um, a flick on the PFF um, stuff, it was phenomenal. Um, I'm hoping the NFL pick up their content just because day three um, is pretty much likely the only gig in town. So um, I'm going to be following a lot of stuff on Twitter, but that's going to be where you're up for TV. So fingers crossed they step up the game and there's some fun to be had. Guys, you two can finish up by talking about tonight and obviously what your highlights of the NFL round one were. But my last thing from my side is... I put a poll up today. Who do you want the Browns to take in round two tonight? And it's joint top. Over a thousand votes. McKinley, 36%. Winfred Jr., 36%. And Delpit, 28%. So it is a super, super close poll, which we don't see very often. Um, Jack, at this point, uh, who do you want for uh, second round tonight? So is that just the three safeties you're on? Sorry. You know, there's, there's also Chin as well, and there's um, some other people as well. But I went with these ones as probably the most common talked about. I could be wrong. Yeah, no. For me, I would love Grant Delpit, but that depends on one big question. I'm not a doctor. I've got no medical in history, and I've got no idea on anything that way. If you can tell me he's fully safe, everything's happy, then I go get Delpit. Um, just because it was not last year, the year before, phenomenal. Um, just looking at the uh, big board, he's 15th best player um, for PFF, the third best player left behind Fulton and Josh Jones. So that's someone I, I go and grab um, because why not? You, you want a fantastic player. Um, I'm looking between slot corner, safety, and wide receiver as sort of my main three things, looking at sort of where the players and board stacks. But we're the ninth pick in day two. So there's eight players that could go. There's people that could trade up. We can look at the board now. It might be a very different scenario um, by the time we get to our pick. Ian? The one thing I think that was a, a message was sent yesterday, not a lot of these GMs feel that these safeties are day one starters. And there was none that went in the first round. So you have guys like... Jeremy Chin, you have guys like Xavier McKinney, Antoine Winfield, you have um, Delpit, you have a lot of Kyle Duggar, you have five safeties, none of them went in the first round, which tells me they may have been a little bit overhyped. I know that the Browns need a safety, but there are some guys that are still on the board that if they fell to 41, guys like Yeter Gross Matos, I'd be interested in him, AJ Epenza, I'd be interested with him. I would say Chin's probably, if none of these guys are day one starters, then give me the guy with the highest upside, which would then lead me to Jeremy Chin. The one thing that concerns me about Antoine Winfield, he's a little undersized and has a little bit of an injury history. So if you could get me Jeremy Chin, I would say second is probably Delpit. I think he does have kind of that um, 
Tyron Matthew ability to kind of flex and play multiple different positions. But you could also interest me in, you know, there's a couple good corners still left on the book. Christian Fulton's still out there. You have uh, Jalen Johnson from Utah. If we're looking linebackers, you have Zach Bonds out there. I, I, I could be very interested in him. You've got a couple defensive tackles. I know Jack's head will explode, but Ross, Ross Blacklock, Justin Matabuke, Neville Gallimore, there's, there's some serious talent. T. Higgins, who I, I don't know. You, there's a lot of guys out there. Heck, K.J. Hamler's still on the board. Trevon Diggs is still on the board. There's a lot of really, really good players, which leads right into Jack's theory. The more second-round picks, the better, because you could be feasting on these guys. So, yeah, guys, we've got three picks tonight, if I'm correct, yeah? One in the second, two in the third. Okay, great. I know the, I know the second, third's a late one, but this is the day where we can make a real impact into our roster, like a safety, maybe two safeties, definitely a safety and a linebacker we are looking for tonight. Is that fair, guys? I would say definitely a safety. The questions around linebacker come into sort of what they want to do with the position. If they're going with two as a base and then they're flicking between one and a third, then maybe it's your final pick. Maybe it's stuff for you addressing day four. Maybe they're sitting there going, we actually feel really good. We've got an offer on the table for Nigel Bradham and we just need to activate it whenever we feel that's the moment. Um, so who knows what's going through their mind. They might have Hollywood Higgins 50 to 90% signed because he's tweeting along. He is loving and the Browns moves and the uniforms and everything else. So there's lots of hidden pieces behind the scenes that we don't get to see, but we look there. But it's just looking through, and you don't draft the needs on day two, but you do draft to fill out that roster. So why it might not be a need like defensive tackle, defensive tackle is actually a need for the roster because you could have three defensive tackles that are currently on the roster that aren't here next year. So it's not just looking at this year needs, it's looking at next year needs and then does that stuff fill because day two is where you build your roster. Day one's the nice fancy stuff, but it's not actually the game changer in terms of multiple players. Day two, this is where we fill. One of them hopefully becomes a starter. One becomes a rotational piece. One might not work out, but that's three bites of the cherry and you've got to get something. Excellent way of thinking it, Jack. And that's how I used to do my recruitment at my last business was hire five people. One would be a superstar. One would be good. One would be average, one wouldn't turn up, and one would be rubbish. You know, you've got to hire five people to find two superstars. So I like your strategy of having a lot of picks in day two. And it sounds like New England have definitely gone for that strategy. Yeah, five picks uh, today for New England, one in round two and then four in round three. I will just kind of share with everybody, The Athletic put out a mock draft for the second and third round picks for tonight. They have the Browns at pick 41 taking Jeremy Chin from Southern Illinois. They have them taking Chin over Xavier McKinney, who goes to the Bears at 43, and Antoine Winfield, who goes to the Colts at 44. And then in round three, they have the Browns at pick 74 taking Willie Gay, the linebacker out of Mississippi State. And at pick 97, Lynn Bowden, the flex wide receiver from Kentucky. So those are the guys that Dane Brugler has uh, mocked to the Browns in day two and day three. Yeah, just one. Um, and I think he's an absolute lunatic for releasing that. Matt Miller from Bleach Report, just before the draft side, released his full, not first rounder, not second rounder. He released a full seven round mock draft um, about five hours before the draft starts. And fair play for him. That is some incredible amount of work. So obviously some of these players might have gone, but let's look through. Browns pick at 41, Xavier McKinney. 
And what was the next number, guys? Because I sometimes lose it. 74. 74. Linebacker. He's got Jacob Phillips, LSU. And then right at the end, we've got... Uh, 97 wide receiver Van Jefferson from Florida so it wouldn't surprise me if that's the moves to take safety linebacker and wide receiver the order and stuff they move around if you're going to guess I'd say that's a pretty safe bet um, as always the golden rule unless you're trading up for a quarterback don't do it I would be really against trading up unless it's sort of one pick and you give up a sixth or a seventh um, then avoid it stick the board pick your guy because the more bites the cherry, the better. Sorry, guys. I need to shoot off. I don't want to be rude. I've got a work call to do. I didn't work at all this morning, and I've got to do some work now. But I will be online later on tonight, guys. I look forward to texting you and catching up with you later on. Go, Browns. Finish the show off, guys. I'll speak to you later on. Have a good one, Paul. Bye, buddy. Just to build off of your uh, article from the other day, Jack, just to give you an idea from the Patriots' standpoint. So in Brugler's mock, the Patriots are taking Cole Komet, the tight end out of Notre Dame. They're taking Ashton Davis, the safety out of Cal. They're then dropping back and taking Bradley and I, the edge from Utah. I mean, these are just some serious names. KJ Hill, wide receiver from Ohio State. Uh, McTelvin Agent, the defensive lineman from Arkansas. I mean, they're talking about just adding five pieces. But I do think you're right. The fact that it took 14 picks for us to get to a trade tells me the value of trading back was not there in the first round. Yeah, I think that's a factor. And if, if you're looking off the top of it and going, right, pre-draft, you can have Wills, or even if it's Worths, Wills or Worths, or you can have, let's say it's Jones or Cleveland, just put the two out there, and you might not have got the extra third. So let's say we've now got two seconds uh, what would that be three thirds and then a second next year and go, what, what's going to be your option? And I'm going, I'm, I'm, I'm taking that all day long because at the first people are like, Oh, I don't want to trade back. When you then present the opportunity and go, well, the trade back gives you Jones or Cleveland. You can get one of them guys. Suddenly it's like, Oh, well, I was happy to take them guys at 19. I was happy to take them at 15. And suddenly when you put the names in there and you always hear, oh, this guy's a lock for the first, this guy's a lock for the first, this guy's a lock for the first. And it's like, you've only actually got 32 picks. And this is where you see, and it's like, there's loads of good names in there. So yeah, the value um, is always, a, it's a risk. I'm not saying it's a guaranteed, do these moves and it will turn out great. I would love to be sat here with six, uh, well, no, because one's next year. I'd love to be sat here with five picks, um, extra picks today. So you would have the three picks we've already got, We'd have added four more. So three in the um, second, second, four in the third, and then an extra second next year. Suddenly you're there going, actually, if we need to trade up and make sure we get to 34 to get one of these two offensive tackles, you're like, hope all day long, trade that, trade yeah. whatever it takes. I'll be curious if New England uses all five of those picks because, yeah, you're right. You have so much ammo there in the third. You can move up a spotter here or there. I mean, Tampa paid a fourth-round pick to move up one spot to San Francisco. So, obviously, San Francisco was getting bids from other teams wanting to come up. And they said, well, you know, we want to move back because we want to get Javon Kinlaw. So, yeah, there's absolutely a lot. I do think there's going to be a little bit more dancing today with trades. I think that now that, you know, they can kind of – see how the board fell. You know, I'm happy that the Browns now are not on the verge of giving up any picks for Trent Williams. I'm happy that conversation's ended. I just have one question for you. We can leave it at that. 
What was the first word that entered your mind when the LA Chargers traded up for a linebacker? I I was just like what this word? Is, I was just like oh I, I was sat there just with my mates going this is a genius move they're going up they're taking Josh Jones this is a phenomenal move I was like the Chargers are great the Chargers are doing something really intelligent and then it was like one of them just went you do know they just took a linebacker I, I was just like no yeah yeah I thought they were pulling my leg and it was like you they did and it, it was just it was insane. I, I was praising them, how intelligent, how bold they were, that it was exactly the right move. Um, and they blew it. It was nuts. Yes. With the 23rd pick in the 2020 draft, they take Kenneth Murray, the linebacker for Oklahoma, who has a grand total of zero interceptions and four pass breakups in three years of college football. I just, I don't know what to say. <laughs> it, it, each team evaluates things differently, and I think that's what we're finding out. Uh, any other picks just kind of in that first round that you liked? Any ones that's kind of stick out? Yeah, I think the Vikings had a really good night. Um, I, would, uh, has, I liked uh, Dolphins sticking for Tua, but then I didn't like their pick at offensive tackle. Yeah, so Austin like, Jackson, I thought, you got to think about it. They traded Minka Fitzpatrick and Laramie Tunsil and got Austin Jackson and Noah Igabugabugabui or whatever that guy's name is. Like, yeah. that's a loss. You, you did not value it. You did not maximize the value of your picks. But yeah, I definitely did. Minnesota getting Justin Jefferson and Jeff Gladney. I thought that was a pretty good call for them. Yeah, no. And it, it was one, obviously, the um, Broncos sitting there had an absolute result uh, for Dallas. That is just epic and i don't often swear on the podcast but full shit housery the fact that the eagles were dying to get him and they jerry jones just picked up the phone and went <laughs> well and not only play. that jerry jones was his draft room was on his 250 million dollar yacht so <laughs> nice and nothing beats cliff kingsbury cliff kingsbury that that's a man i'd like to sit there and have the draft with because that house looked phenomenal yeah the the shoes with no socks they're just sitting back GQ. Yeah. Uh, any thoughts to Jordan Love to the Packers trading up? It's nuts. It makes no sense. Um, the Packers are basically tied in for three years with Rodgers. Um, so they're going to keep him for that time. So unless there's sort of some secret rumor that Rodgers is considering retirement, which I can't see um, sometime in the next couple of years, um, unless he's made noises and they're just panicking. Um, yeah, I get no idea. And people are saying, oh, but it's the same instance as it was with Favre. And it's like, it's not. Um, it's hard to find a contract that old, but it looks like Favre only had really one year of guaranteed money left. Rogers has got three. So it's a completely different scenario. That'd be on par with the Browns going and drafting, trading up maybe to five and trying to draft two of this year. That's sort of how nuts it is because we're tied in for Baker effectively, obviously not with the same amount of money, but with the draft capital in there. So it, it, it was ridiculous. Um, any last note for you just before we hit uh, time? No, day two is going to be exciting. I look forward to it. And I'll leave you all with the, the summary from Brugler on Jedrick Wills. It just says, overall, he's a, bit, a balanced, light-footed big man with explosive power, aggressive mentality, and budding confidence that should translate very well to the NFL level projecting as a long-term NFL starter with all pro upside. Let's hope he gets there. Uh, fantastic. And don't take my skepticism for thinking it's a bust and a bad pick. I, I Just because I don't like it doesn't mean it's uh, like an Austin Corbett or a Chubb when I'm reaching for the sick bucket. Um, I, I just think they could have done better. So, uh, no, thank you guys for listening. Have an awesome time and uh, see you all tomorrow. Go Browns. Go Browns. Go Browns.